Just because you're not hearing the theme music doesn't mean that this is not Linoleum Knife. It is Linoleum Knife, a podcast of the cinema. My name is Dave White, and sitting opposite me is my, uh, what do I call you? My sidekick. <laughs> How dare you? My <laughs> Alonso, Alonso Durrell. Uh, we are thrilled to have with us today uh, two very uh, distinguished guests. Uh, they are the executive producers of the TCM series, The Power of Film, that is currently unfurling. It is a six-week series um, talking with Professor Howard Suber about what movies do and how and why we respond to them. Um, joining us today uh, is uh, documentarian Laura Gabbert, whose work includes uh, Otto Lenghi and the, uh, pal- the... The Cakes of Versailles. The Cakes of Versailles, thank you. Of course, the cakes. <laughs> Um, uh, a City of Gold and the upcoming Food and Country. Uh, also, documentarian Doug Prey, whose many uh, uh, films over the years include um, Hype, Scratch, and Levitated Mass. Uh, Doug and Laura, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to be here. So uh, you guys were both students of uh, Professor Suber um, and obviously uh, took his teachings to heart. But at what point did you realize that was going to translate into this documentary? Uh, I mean, many years later, both Doug and I attended UCLA in the 90s at, at different times. And we both were TAs for Howard Suber for his for some of his classes Um and, you know, both of us, you know, think of Howard, Howard Suber as our, our mentor. We've stayed in very close touch with him since we were in school. Um, and we just been in touch about this. And this was always sort of an idea of Howard's that he really wanted to somehow memorialize his lectures. Um, and not he had somewhat in his book, The Power of Film, but he always thought it would make an interesting TV series. And a few students had sort of started and stopped with him and trying to do this. And Doug and Howard and I were having lunch one day. And Doug and I just kind of looked at each other and said, let's just do it. Let's just make this thing independently, self-finance, raise some money if we can, and get this done. Which was kind of crazy because you don't do independent series. Television series, (laughs) it's just not – like we can talk indie film all day long. But like a six-part series – completely labor of love, no budget, no companies, no anybody. It was just Laura and I and Howard. And we just kind of kept making it, which explains why it took a number of years to make. But um, yeah, it was just, we, we were just inspired. He is our mentor. We love the guy. And he taught us lessons that lasted, that still last and have lasted my entire career. Every film I've ever made Anything I've ever done, whether it's a short or a documentary or even a even commercial work, anything like that, there's always these principles that I go, God, I learned that in Howard's class. And so it kind of became this just kind of like we wanted to do something for our mentor, but it was just a way of giving back and sharing all these things that we learned with the rest of the world. And I think we also thought it could be a very entertaining series just because we had sat through Howard's three to three and a half hour lectures before and had been, even though they were long, you're sort of riveted the entire time. And we kind of thought, well, Howard paired with film clicks, cl- film clips, excuse me, are, could be really, really great. Yeah, this is exactly the kind of show that I would be glued to uh, as a as a kid who was sort of 
an autodidact when it came to movies and and anytime there was you know life goes to the movies or one of those sort of like lengthy tv things with a lot of clips and history and that sort of thing uh, yeah I, I was riveted and and i find this equally fascinating even though it's more it's less about chronology and history and more about you know sort of larger concepts in narrative um you know, and I think there there is kind of a simple there's a simplicity to the structure here. It's it is him talking, and it's always him in the same seat in the same sweater talking, yeah. and the film <laughs> clips, which you know, and obviously you guys have been working this for a while, so you predate it. But it reminded me a lot of that De Palma documentary that Noah Baumbach did, where it's just De Palma sitting in a chair talking yeah. about movies, and then clips. And in terms of the density of information coming mm, at you. Yes. Uh, you said earlier, you know, you you can make a you can make an independent film, but nobody makes an independent television series. You know, well, I mean, Jacques Rivette made out one, and people treat it like a fourteen-hour movie. So you could have took this all together <laughs> and turned it into like a super long documentary, like like Los Angeles plays itself. And in terms of like I was saying at the beginning of the sentence, in terms of density of information, this kept reminding me of Los Angeles plays itself in that I sat through, through the episodes thinking, I have to watch this again. Mm. I have to Love see that. this again because I'm getting these lectures for the very first time in my life. And I want to remember what this man is saying. I'm just trying to scribble down notes <laughs> and they're thinking, you know what? Just watch it again. <laughs> That's actually encouraging. I mean, we that's what we love about him is he's basically it's very elemental. Like the entire series is incredibly simple. It's just film clips, one man speaking straight to you and in, with, we used an interatron which Errol Morris pioneered, you know, like the idea of doing a documentary interview where they're looking straight into the lens so they're talking directly to the audience. Very simple. We did not spend thousands of dollars on hair, makeup and wardrobe. He just put him on, put a light on him and put the camera on him. And then we have these amazing clips. The only other element is music, which is very subtle, but actually Garen Chang, who scored the series, it's he brings together all these disparate themes and ideas where you may see like 10 different clips and hear one big idea. But underneath it all, there is this kind of swelling music. And it's, it, it's, it's interesting because I guess our goal, what we liked about Howard's class is he gets you thinking about storytelling on a very elemental level, like really deep down, like, oh, wow, this has been happening for 20,000 years. This has been happening certainly since the days of the Greeks and the myths. And we've been telling stories and honoring well-told stories. And it's really no different in film. And and he kind of unpacks that in a way that's very psychological and very human. And it's not like a techie series at all. He never talks technical. Sometimes no, he does. No. But like. And so that's what that would that made it different from the start, and I think that was something we really wanted to try to just bring out is those ideas. Nor is it is it overly academic, you know. I mean, his ideas are really wise and really deep, but they're very accessible. So even if you're not a film student or a film critic or even a film buff, I do think that that kind of it registers for people and, and sort of saying, oh, that's why I remember that movie. Or that's what's really working in that movie to sort of like make me want to keep watching. Um, and I love that about Howard. I love that about his scholarship. And, and I think the, you know, the, the approach here is he keeps talking about these are films that 
that have stayed in the memory that are popular with a great many people. So it's not one of those film classes where they sit you down to watch Stan Brakhage. It's like he's yeah. telling you why <laughs> people love the Shawshank Redemption, why people love you know Star Wars, uh, and and be, and it's because as as you say, he's tying into these very sort of you know the 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 entire basis of what we think of as narrative going all the way back to the Greeks. That's right. He, he has the first episode um, is named popular and memorable. And he makes such a big point about that. He's like, I don't care if it was just popular. I don't care if it was the number one box office hit that particular year. I only care if it was popular but really memorable like a generation later or two or three or four in the case of Wizard of Oz or something like that. It's like, he's that's his whole thing. And that's what he studies. And he, he makes no apologies for that. He's like, I'm not talking about European films, not talking about art films, talking about popular, you know, memorable and popular American films. And, and therefore, it's, it is a lot of older films, but he also has tried to include movies from this century as well, which maybe haven't stood the test of time, but he still feels like, no, we can talk about this for sure. We can talk about Moonlight because it is a classic, uh, you know, display of like a hero stuck between fate and destiny or something like that. And he'll explain that. I don't know whose idea it was to, uh, to show the number one box office receipts of Transformers Age of Extinction. <laughs> Well played. But <laughs> yeah. I saw that on screen. I was like, oh yeah, which one was that? <laughs> I the the and then, you know, regarding Moonlight, um, very specifically, you know, as queer film critics, um the idea that something is 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 going to be memorable and you don't know if it's gonna stand the test of time. There's a film currently in theaters right now called all of us strangers yes that is that is making it's 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 unusual uh in that uh, for me as an as an observer it's unusual for me because i know so many queer men who are watching this film right now yeah. and having having intense conversations about it with each other online but in, interpersonally as well and it feels like the kind of movie to me very much like Moonlight, that is going to become, you know, a, a, a touchstone for mm -hmm. queer audiences, particularly you know, gay men. Uh, and the, sometimes you you see these movies and you just feel it in your gut. Yeah. You not only do you want to watch it again, but you want the feeling it gave you. In even though it's, I don't know if either of you have seen this film yet, but I uh, had it's it's, it's I cried a bucket of tears. It is such a <laughs> kick in the gut in so many ways um, that I, I I get the feeling that not to spoil it, but at the end of the series in episode six called Love and Meaning, you know he he kind of wraps it all up with the Wizard of Oz and 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 particularly with the song Over the Rainbow, mm -hmm. a a scene in the film that can make me cry any time I look at it, even out of context of the rest mm -hmm. of the film, because it's so very powerful. And it reminded me of this one sort of idea that a film you want to watch again and again and again and again and again is like, it's one potato chip. Yeah. <laughs> and you need more potato chips. And so you <laughs> want to keep going back to that and get it again and again and again. And so anyway, that's 
have I just talked myself into a circle? I think I <laughs> no, have. no, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think that's the thing. That's true. It's like there are certain films that you just it's been it's maybe it's been a year or two or three, and then you see it listed somewhere, and you just kind of it's like it's comforting because you want to fe- you want to have that feeling again. Yeah. Or you show it to your children because they've never seen it, and you want them to have it. You know, it's or whatever. You know, you recommend it to somebody. Um, yeah, I think that's good. And, and that film in particular, All the Strangers, I mean, when I watched that, I thought, oh, that would have worked so perfectly in episode six. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's and it's one of those things that Alonzo and I talk about sometimes with some frequency that critics can become so wary mm. of having feelings while watching the film mm. and particularly the sensation of having your feelings manipulated by the film and how much you can trust that from mm. the filmmaker. Yeah. And so it, it, it made me very happy to watch this series and think, you know what? I'm just going to have some more feelings. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I, I, I well, it's, it's interesting. The ending, the episode six does talk about the wizard of Oz and other movies like toy story and, and, and many others. Um, yeah. But it, it there, it, it's back to this idea of just elemental concepts which bind us that which bring us together into movie theaters and which make us relate to the same things and what you're reacting to in all of us strangers is this it is the same thing that people reacted to in the wizard of oz there is no timeline on this it's not like oh that's an old movie and and movies are different now no they aren't i don't care what the subject is i don't care i don't care the genre i don't care if it's a comedy i don't care if it's an abstract art film the idea is you're either moved or you're not. And the, what moves us is just so simple. And he, what I, what Howard does that I think is sign of courageous is he just kind of goes out on a limb or he's studied this for his whole life and just says his beliefs. But he just says that the, the, the few things that are making this, making us relate to this, like he talks about the nature of loss. He talks about the power of desire that Dorothy like has this, it's just the whole film's about desire. She's desire. She wants to be over the rainbow. She wants to get out of this place. She wants to, she wants a better life, you know, and who can't relate to that? We all feel that way. And Howard is just so good at reminding us of, oh, these are deep seated needs that we all feel. I don't care who you are. We all feel that. We all want what she wants in some ways. And I think that, I don't know, that, that universality is is sort of one of the major themes across all the episodes of this series is what make what moves us is has been similar for thousands of years and then also just kind of like i think there is this sort of you know like for example i'm thinking about when he talks about how all love stories end with the loss or separation of the lovers it's like we don't really think about love stories that way in terms of memorable popular films um and like, what, why is that? And it, it's because that's what we experience in our life. We do experience, you know, separation and loss over and over again. Yeah. It, it didn't hurt Titanic. Heaven knows. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was kind of funny. Somebody the other day 
um, had seen episode one and they were saying like, oh, I can't believe these guys are spoiling the, you know, like the pot spoilers. And I was like, well, first of all, that movie's 80 years old. Second of all, <laughs> I think we all know the ending of Romeo and Juliet. I'm really sorry. but <laughs> I, I love the, the montage of like, you know, movies that don't necessarily end happily. And it's all like, you know, he dies, she dies. A little wild one. They all die. And the Doctor Strange love, we all die. <laughs> that, was, that was a brilliant move by our editor, Philip Owens, who's just <laughs> awesome. He just had so much fun one day showing us that. I was like, oh my God, I love that. <laughs> but yeah, it spoils a bunch of endings of movies that you may not have seen 50 years ago. <laughs> I, I'm just, just as a nuts and bolts question, uh, were there any people who, I, I don't even know if you have to get clearance anymore for this stuff or if it's all fair use, but were there clips that you wanted and couldn't get or maybe could get after you had the TCM imprimatur on you, or was it not an issue? Oh. This, the series does rely on the principle of fair use, which, um, you know, there, it's certainly not the first series to do that. Um, and and it's, it is literally almost the definition of fair use because, sure. it, because you have a professor literally talking about these scenes in an academic type setting. Um, and it's so, so we were very, very happy to, kind of work in that way but uh, but very carefully in, in other words it would that was not easy like we there was definitely situations where no we you can't show 20 seconds of that you could show seven seconds of that or you know right. just different situations yeah. so it's you have to be you have to be on your toes about that and we're we worked with an excellent uh, firm who you know who approved of the film and and we worked very very closely with us for you know, like a year. I mean, I'm not yeah, kidding. I mean, it I, really was a big yeah. deal. I was going to say, it's like the, the the sort of last phase of the edit was, you know, I mean, yes, there was some polishing done, but the lion's share of the work was really making sure it was all fair use safe, you know, and trimming a couple seconds here or adding a line of VO from Howard there, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. The well, hardest if, part. If this isn't educational, I don't know what is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the hardest part was actually having, I mean, any editor of any film should be able to tell you the same story of like, the hardest part was losing whole sections of Howard's dialogue or lecture notes, things that we just loved in his lecture. They were like, oh, wow, we couldn't even get that in at all. Or even Howard's favorite movie, of, like one of his favorite movies of all time is Singing in the Rain. And for some absolutely inexplicable reason it's not in the final cut of any of the episodes oh wow and you know like i don't yeah he's yeah anyway (laughs) we'll never live that down we're still like sorry sorry professor i'm sorry please don't give me a c minus i think i think tcm is going to air it at some point or other so you're okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) i know one of the things i also admired about uh his his you know content here his delivery his his repeated insistence that this is not a plug-in equation. This is not a question of mechanics. That these mm-hmm. ideas and these these structures and, and these relationships that he's talking about are not a way for you to, you know, save the cat. Lego <laughs> Lego build a script. And That's right. that and and if you do that your film will feel mechanical instead of intuitive the way it should. Right. Um, and so I really appreciated that as, as it went on because I thought, I hope this isn't, you know, how to make us, how to make a hit movie. And, yeah. Uh, yes. 
Yeah. He always used to say in his lectures, he would say, well, one of the rules, and he's, and then he would say, as an aside, well, rules are meant to be broken. You know, like, yeah. and he does have some rules. Like, he has this thing of, he calls it the one-hour pivot point. And he's yeah. very careful to say, look, it's not exactly an hour, and it may not be. But in general, just really in general, some of or many of the greatest films of all time just happen to have a pretty big central character pivot at one hour. Yep. And you'd start looking at your watch and going, God damn, he's right again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the, the introduction every episode, he talks about how he has taught, you know, screenwriters and directors and producers. Um, and this is going out to, to film lovers, to movie watchers. Um, what do you hope that audiences take away from this in their practice of, of film watching? I mean, I feel like I, I hope it gives people a deeper understanding of, of what they're watching. I mean, you know, I think that every filmmaker's goal is to have people engaged, not think too much, just be emotionally engaged. But I do think it it, it is helpful and, and illuminating to, to sort of think back on a movie and sort of ask yourself, why did that work for me? What was going on there? Um, was there a transfer of power? Was there, you know you know, was someone kind of understanding like the faith in their own potential or whatever, what was the, what was the emotion? What was the feeling that sort of reached me? Um, and then Doug, Doug, you always say you want people to make better film films. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's a real high bar. Like, <laughs> gee, I wish films were better. Um, <laughs> but it, no, I mean, maybe it's a, it's kind of what TCM's dream is, you know, Turner classic movie. Then why does that network exist? Partly because, you know, this country, I mean, this country is in such turmoil. I mean, we can at least look to some amazing things like you could look at, you know, jazz or you could look at certain things that are very, the, the history of cinema in this country is outstanding and amazing. And I, I am proud of the fact that we are bringing a lot of these films to a newer audience because one of my favorite responses to people who've seen one or two episodes is, Oh wow! I gotta I gotta go see that film, and I gotta see this other film. And what was that one that he mentioned? You know, it's just because these you really once you see these, it reminds you of wow, that history is so powerful. There's so much stuff there, really good. Yeah, Once Upon a Time in America definitely just leapt to my need to rewatch soon list. Yeah, right. That is one that's like not a, not everyone has seen that. That's not it's not like Casablanca quite. Right. You know. I would love just to let people know that if, if if you don't have cable, you can find TCM on YouTube Live or Hulu Live, okay. um, and it will be available uh, in a number of months on many other platforms. Excellent. And uh, does is Super still lecturing, or is he pretty much retired at this point? Howard is pretty much retired at this point, but he, you know, but really only very recently. He he literally taught for well over 50 or I think 53 years, which if you really think about, you know, um, tenure, <laughs> it's really amazing. And that, that was only really recently that he, he stopped teaching in person as a professor emeritus. Um, but he, he still stays in really good touch with his students. I mean, he's, you know, he has taught hundreds and hundreds of students who have gone off to write screenplays and be directors and, you know, all, all sorts of, people are out there who study with Howard. So yeah, he's, he's, he's very active and really, really psyched. Uh, he, I have to hand it to him. He was the most patient collaborator I've ever worked <laughs> with in my life because 
because Laura and I were busy and we could not always work on this because it was an it was it was not well to be blunt a paying gig it was something that we really wanted sure. to do and right. we did in our spare time and he was just so patient i mean literally like year in yeah. and year out it would be like i can't get to that this month but next you know we can we can work on it for a couple of weeks now with the editor and our editors were very patient everybody was patient it's one of those like you know just be patient and it's gonna, and we're gonna finish, and we finally and, finish. So. And, and I will say, Doug and I always say to each other, and we've said this to Howard. It was, it was also a, a project that brought us a lot of joy. <laughs> it was, you know, oh, yeah. and, and and a lot of it was, I mean, on practical terms, a lot of it was because we we were the deciders. We had creative control. The three of us decided everything together. We didn't have to get notes from anyone. We could just really make the series the way we wanted to make it. Um, and and then also just was, you know, sort of a full circle thing, I think, for, for both Doug and myself, you know, kind of going back and and really having the privilege to dive back into all of his scholarship um, was really great, really, really gratifying. You know, and if, if this has been made clear, this is a fun watch. Yeah. Like th- this is this is the kind of academic lecture like the kind you see in the movies where people applaud at the end and you know that never happens in real life but this is that level of entertaining with the clip like each episode zips along and frankly once one is done you immediately want the next one like popcorn yeah. so uh, yeah. if, 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 if the idea of an academic lecture it sounds off-putting it trust me this is a, a, a breezy informative just yummy, uh, uh, you know, uh, walk through movies and what makes them tick. And I love off-putting academic lectures. So (laughs) I'm telling y'all, this is not what that is. (laughs) That's the best. That's great. Thank Thank you. you. So, so both of y'all obviously very hardworking and accomplished documentarians, and you were you're working on this, you know, in between other stuff. Uh, what is other stuff that we can expect from you in the coming years? Well, <laughs> uh yeah, I'm involved in a number of projects. Some I'm not at liberty to speak sure. about publicly, right. just because we're still trying to kind of figure it out. Like, you know, that process takes a while. But um, I'm working on a film about uh, gun rights and gun violence in America, okay. which is, uh, you know, not so fun of a topic. Yeah, one of the reasons Laura said that, that this was a really joyful project is because if you're working on something where there's a, a lot of notes from a studio or anything else or, you know, collaborators or anything else, and you get back to this and you go, oh my God, I can escape back into the movies and back yeah. into Howard's. Right. And yeah. the joy of Howard's, uh, you know, what he's been saying about all these films, it's just, it, it really was fun. It, it was always a joy to say, oh, good, I'm back working on this. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm working on that and a couple other projects. Um, I've been doing television lately. I mean, so I've been doing a number of different things, but, uh, in the upcoming year, the main thing I'm working and focused on is be, well, besides getting the power of film out there to the world, um, which has been taking a lot of our time is just, yeah, this film I'm making about guns. Excellent. Yeah. That. Um, and for me, I, um, I have a film coming out this spring, a documentary feature called food and country, um, that'll be released in April or May, and it explores what COVID it, it sort of revealed about our broken food system in America. Um, and it's sort of focused on Ruth Reichel sort of takes us on that journey. Uh, legendary food writer, Ruth Reichel. Yes. Yeah. And then also working on a developing a series that's basically an intersection of food and fashion, of all things. Fashion or passion? 
Food and fashion. F. Yeah. Is it like that episode of Project Runway where they made the dress out of the corn? <laughs> <laughs> That in there. <laughs> That's where my mind goes. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> I know. I once did an ad that was that had a meat belt. <laughs> wow! And just for the people listening uh, now, uh, the series Power Film is currently airing on Turner Classic. Yes. Turner Classic Movies Thursday nights. Thursday nights. Uh, and yep. as, as Laura mentioned, if you are not a cable subscriber, but if you have YouTube Live or uh, Hulu Live, you can access TCM that way. And at some point in the future, this will be made available in other venues. But if you've got TCM, you should be watching this show. It's super entertaining. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Really appreciate it. Thank you. We thank you guys for being here. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. Um, You know, this little short special episode. Yes. Follow us at Linoleum Cast on uh, on the social media. We will be back soon with a full size episode. But until then, goodbye.